0: hello
1: (laughs) to get out of your head yes break a sweat baby
0: i have been drinking before this episode so you know no no okay tipsy if anything
1: (laughs) are you really how much jameson did you put in that Enough. if i knew this was gonna be a drunk episode i would have had more meh
0: but it's fine because we're talking about prohibition where it's like the lack of alcohol so it should be it's only
1: we're pouring one out for the boys yep pour one out for what is it called Pour one out for the pour homies. Pour one out for the homies. <laughs> we're pouring one out for the collective homie of 1920s. Except we're pouring it out into our mouth.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to pour one out for you guys because you wouldn't want us to waste the alcohol, so I appreciate you letting me drink
1: this. You didn't have alcohol back then, so thank you for your struggle.
0: We appreciate your we have sacrifice. have alcohol today. Anyways, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Fast Pass, the history podcast that has uh, relatively short episodes. Once again, it is I, Jason.
1: What are you doing?
0: What do you mean? I mean, I'm just introducing the episode.
1: Is this because Enron was 45 minutes long?
0: No, of course not.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. So uh, you want you want to start over? Yep. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, hello everyone, and welcome back to Fast Pass, the history podcast that usually is under 30 minutes.
1: Alright, now I know you're definitely talking about Enron. You talking shit? And
0: like always, I am Jason.
1: <sighs> I'm Megan.
0: And today we're going to talk about something that happened in the past that went on way longer than it should have.
1: Look, it's not my fault that Alex spoke for 45 minutes, it's just an in-depth topic that needed to be talked about properly.
0: And that's something that I'm talking about, uh, probably never should have happened to begin
1: with. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Jason, Enron was a good episode. It was a good-ass episode. Are you saying we shouldn't have done it? Because I'll call Alex up right wait, now. Wait, hold
0: on. But wait, What? Enron? I'm talking about Prohibition, you know, today's topic of discussion. Why are you still on Enron?
1: I thought you were still talking about it.
0: No, Enron was a great episode. It was jam-packed full of information and issues that need to be discussed.
1: Go check it out if you haven't already. Can this be over now?
0: Yeah, now that I've shamelessly plugged one of our episodes in our current episode, I think the bit can be over now. <laughs> so on to the actual topic and Prohibition scene. in America. <laughs> the eighteenth amendment. Prohibition in America. The ban on alcohol. The big dumb. Uh, start the episode. Okay.
1: Wow, you make me sound like such a bitch.
0: <laughs> and that's the end of the second bit. Perfect. End scene. So, uh, preface to Prohibition itself, let's talk about religion. I
1: didn't think we'd find a way to bash religion in this episode, but cracks knuckles, I'm up for it.
0: Oh, yeah, (laughs) but we're not actually going to full-on attack religion in this Um, episode. um. We're just going to call people out on their hypocrisy and their perfectionism. Oh, I love that. Um, So, in the 1820s and 30s, uh, there's widespread religious revivalism sweeping the United States of America. So
1: they thought to attack alcohol.
0: Not just alcohol. See... The the religious revivalism made them want to perfect the homes that they live in, thus creating a, quote, perfectionist movement. There was the temperance movement as well as an abolitionist movement made by these God-fearing people.
1: Yes, the one thing that um, religion did good things for was abolition movements. Yes. Uh, It was always women and, um, and abolitionists who were together in this fight. Yeah. So that's a good thing about religion. Just make it noted that I said that. So they had some good (laughs) intentions. So why did they attack alcohol?
0: Now we have to get a little further back.
1: Throw it back. Catch that.
0: Like a flashback within a flashback, if you will. Like a play
1: within a play, if you will. Yes. Like a Hamlet within a Hamlet.
0: Yes. Let's, uh, Let's start it back to the founding of America. See, the founding Europeans absolutely loved to drink. And as time went on, alcohol became a mainstay in American homes. Here's a quote from a book called Prohibition, A Concise History by W.J. Rorabaugh. In 1607, the Virginia adventurers brought as much alcohol as they could on their founding voyage. The settlers subsequently produced corn, or maize, beer, and imported rum from the West Indies. Virginians quickly developed a reputation for hearty drinking. Mm-hmm. In the 1700s, the diarist William Byrd recorded meetings of the governor's council that ended with some members passed out drunk on the floor. Such was governance in early America. On election days, candidates were expected to treat voters to free alcohol. Okay. In 1755, when George Washington ran for the Virginia House of Burgesses, the colonial legislature, he neglected to offer the customary liquor, and the voters declined to elect him. Three years later, Washington provided 144 gallons of rum, punch, wine, hard cider, and beer. He won with 307 votes. Each vote cost almost half a gallon of alcohol.
1: You know, when they um, talk about presidential candidates, we're like, I would have a drink with him. Is this where it came from? Because, like, could you imagine if, like, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden and Trump were all like, I'll give you alcohol.
0: Yo, I will buy you a six-pack to vote for me.
1: I mean, like... You know what?
0: Maybe. (laughs) Definitely, maybe.
1: I'll have that six-pack with you, and then we'll talk about some deep-seated issues in America, and then you might have my vote. But I'll still take the free alcohol.
0: Hell yeah. Hells yeah. Yeah, so uh, alcohol was muy importante for European Americans, though it was less prevalent among the African, Asian, and Native American communities. They just didn't have the same desire to ingest intoxicating beverages as the white folk did.
1: Fun fact, in Latin America, uh, Mayans used to consume this drink called balche, which was uh, fermented bee venom. It gave you wild hallucinations, which is why they thought that they were seeing their gods when they drank it. It was reserved just for chiefs. So they wanted a, they wanted harder stuff.
0: Yeah, and especially since you have to freaking get venom from bees. I don't, I don't think no, you're going to have enough bee venom to give out to the general public no. quite often.
1: Yeah, I watched a video of them making it. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how does this affect things down the lines for Americans?
0: Here's another quote for, for you uh, from the same book as well. Quote, by the time of the revolution, Americans were among the world's hardiest toppers. Mood. Indeed, much revolutionary activity took place in taverns, whether it was John Hancock and the, quote, Indians planning the Boston Tea Party, Thomas Jefferson penning and revising the Declaration of Independence in the back room of a Philadelphia drinking house, or recruiting sergeants buying drinks in a public house to entice, uh, to entice recruits into the Continental Army. Many a bleary-eyed lad discovered the next morning that he had enlisted while under the influence.
1: Imagine waking up the next morning and be like, oh, man, this hangover is wild. And then you look down and you're like, what the fuck is this? And then you're like, oh, God, Mom.
0: Mom, I joined the war again.
1: I'm going to war again.
0: So with Americans becoming the most hearty drinkers at this time, we essentially grew up to become an alcohol-dependent nation.
1: Have things really changed? Well. Not
0: really. (laughs) Things have not changed.
1: As we drink alcohol. (laughs) This isn't a drunk episode. We're just enjoying a glass after a tough day of coronavirus. Yep. I guess this explains the whiskey rebellion in uh, 1794, though.
0: Facts. So with the growth of alcohol as an American mainstay, it began to spread to the other cultures living in America. See, slaves didn't have as much access to whiskey, but they would occasionally barter fish or fresh produce for small amounts of whiskey and the native population would trade pelts for whiskey, and then they, quote, amazed white Americans by the huge quantities of whiskey they consumed. So apparently whiskey and rum became necessary for American life, with whiskey becoming the uh, national drink Hmm. of all things. Because we just started making whiskey, because we didn't have the uh, stuff to consistently make rum.
1: I like whiskey. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm about it. I'm about it.
0: Yeah. So... They would drink the whiskey watered down with breakfast, lunch, and dinner.
1: You just buzz the whole ass day?
0: The whole ass day.
1: It's like, imagine you, like, <laughs> driving to work, buzz, clocking in, buzzed, buzz, and then helping people with their prescriptions. Buzz. Buzz. <laughs> what the hell? I'd be like, you wanted <laughs> Zolpidem, not Oxycontin? Oh, well. <laughs> like, I'd be giving blood pressure medicine to, like, depression patients. Yep. That sounds awful.
0: Yup. Yeah.
1: Well, I guess I know why uh, prohibition happened then.
0: And that is our episode. Thank you so much. <laughs> but no, it was wild. They drank whiskey watered down for every meal, uh, because uh, the water wasn't filtered, and the cleanest thing they had was alcohol to like oh. uh, clean their insides. I guess. Oh.
1: Okay. Well, that makes more some sense. sense.
0: Yeah. Um, and if they had money, they would usually. Uh, add a bit of lemon or sugar or
1: ginger would you say
0: i don't know jameson and ginger i don't think they had
1: uh they didn't have ginger ale back then i (laughs) don't think they had ginger ale
0: back then but yeah they would put other things in their drink and uh children would occasionally finish a parent's drink especially if there was sugar sitting at the bottom Mm. uh the typical white american male would consume nearly half a pint of whiskey every day which is three times today's alcohol consumption Whoa. rate.
1: Whoa! Whoop whoop whoop! I'm yeah. calling the cops on all of them. All of them are like quite inebriated
0: test. from uh, from wake up from sun up to sundown. They are honestly fucked. that
1: kind of sounds exhausting. Imagine like you going through a whole day in a drunk stupor for every day of your life. Would that not get tiring? I mean, that if that becomes addictive? your
0: if that becomes your entire day, it's just like okay, this is how it is now. This mm, is my life.
1: This is my life. But is it like a sad like? Now oh, this is my life. Or is it like, well, this is my life? <laughs> you know?
0: I don't know. It it depends on the person. Because, like, you have people today who rely on certain medications. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is my life.
1: At me, though. I mean, I, I would die without my medicine, but.
0: Yeah, but then there's these people who would go into withdrawal without their alcohol. So. So,
1: okay. <laughs> but they would eventually find out an issue with such dependency on their alcohol. Surprise, surprise. Quote As whiskey consumption rose after the American Revolution, it attracted attention. Medical doctors were among the first to notice the increase. More patients were having the shakes from involuntary withdrawal from alcohol. Delirium, tremens, nightmares, and psychosis were on the rise. And solo drinking of massive quantities in binges that ended with the drinker passing out became a new drinking pattern. Fun fact that's one of the ways they think Edgar Allan Poe died.
0: In a drinking binge?
1: Well, he had, like, an intolerance to alcohol, so if he had, like, a glass, it'd be like he had ten glasses. He couldn't handle his alcohol. Mm. So they think he got... Someone got him drunk, and he, like, drunkenly stupored and fell into a... um, Into a gutter. Yeah, a gutter. There we go.
0: Nice.
1: Yeah. Doctors such as Benjamin Rush, a signer of the Declaration of Independence, and one-time chief physician of the Continental Army, who had first warned against the overuse of whiskey and other distilled spirits during the Revolution, became... Alarmed. <laughs> Experts recognized that over time, drinkers needed to increase their use of alcohol to gain the same sense of euphoric satisfaction from drinking.
0: Because they were building up a tolerance.
1: Yep. Down the road was chronic drunkenness, or what would later be called alcoholism. Yay. Medical schools included warnings to students, but most physicians in the early 1800s believed that alcohol was an important medicine. Physicians especially favored... Can you give this one a name man? Laudanum? Laudanum, which was... Opium dissolved in alcohol. Laudanum <laughs> calmed the nerves and miraculously ended the craving for alcohol. I don't know. Maybe because you're getting yourself addicted to opioids now. Yeah. Uh, children's nurses actually used laudanum to quiet babies. Imagine you're like a few months old mm. and, you, and you start getting addicted to not only alcohol, but, but op- opiates. opiates.
0: Imagine you're like two years old.
1: Imagine you're anyone.
0: Your teeth are growing in and it kind of hurts. You're and teething them. a little bit.
1: You're taking Oxy.
0: And you're taking Oxy. <laughs> Holy oh. crap. You're fucked, dude.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: So, yeah, America, from the early days, had a bit of an alcohol problem.
1: All right. I'm understanding this. Now, where does the church come involved in all this shit?
0: Well, as you could tell from what we've already said, there's a bit of an issue. And they yeah. definitely wanted to get involved earlier. But, thing is, they didn't get involved entirely earlier. So let's talk about the dude that you mentioned before, Mr. Rush. See, he was a little bit worried, um, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, Rush and others also worried about how distilled spirits damaged society in terms of crime, poverty, and family violence. Many serious crimes, including murder, were committed under the influence of alcohol. The unemployed or unemployable drunkard abandoned his family so that the wife and children sometimes faced starvation while the husband and father debauched himself. Liquor use was often associated with gambling and prostitution, which brought financial ruin and sexually transmitted diseases.
1: Wow.
0: Drunkenness also led to wife-beating and child abuse. To many Americans, it appeared that the United States could not be a successful republic unless alcoholic passions were curbed.
1: Okay. I see that.
0: Yeah. So, some clergymen, physicians, and prominent business leaders in Boston came together to form the, quote, not the quote, they came together to form the Massachusetts Society for the Suppression of Intemperance. It's such a terrible name. We've
1: had a lot of bad names in fast past history. It'd like like the, the
0: Nasa. Nasa. <laughs> Literally the entire naming of uh, the Cleopatra family. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Meet Ptolemy 1 through 14 and Cleopatra 1 through 7. So they came together to create the Massachusetts Society for the Suppression of Intemperance. I seriously hate that name. But uh, the wild part about them was they only got together once a year. Uh, they, they got together, they discussed temperance, and they made pamphlets about temperance and the dangers of alcohol over a couple bottles of wine.
1: Kind of like what we're doing here. I mean, we're not sharing about temperance, but we're sharing about history over, well, I'm having wine, you're having whiskey.
0: Yeah, but they're talking about, like, the dangers of drinking over a drink. So
1: that's like maybe like, Jason, man. I need no. to stop
0: doing this heroin while you have a needle <laughs> in your arm.
1: <laughs> so basically, hypocrites. Yeah. Ah, uh, the American way.
0: The American way. It was because of these dudes writing yearly pa- 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 pa. it was because of these dudes writing yearly pamphlets that the New England clergy got spooked and decided to preach vehemently against the booze.
1: But they had only pushed the idea of less consumption yep. or having less alcoholic drinks or watered down spirits. They didn't They weren't like, no, no, no no alcohol at all.
0: It's like, it's either cut your whiskey with some more water or slow your damn roll.
1: (laughs) It's like, maybe have one glass at dinner, not four.
0: At breakfast, lunch, and dinner.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, let's let's calm ourselves down a little bit here.
0: Slow your roll, relax. Yeah, but it ended up being the Quakers and the Methodists that preached temperance and the evils of the spirits.
1: My mom's a Methodist, but in (laughs) (laughs) the...
0: Your mom is part of the problem.
1: My mom is not a big alcohol person, too, so
0: mm. on brand. On brand. Um,
1: but in the end, it was women. I know you gave me this line because of this. Who would push the, the religious revival, which led to the temperance movement?
0: See, women are here to make a difference. They started with the abolitionist movement, the temperance movement, and uh, women's, women's suffrage. Yeah,
1: yeah, women's suffrage. I mean,
0: because clearly the men aren't doing shit, so it has to be the women to do They're it. They're getting drunk. Yeah. Men are getting drunk. Yeah, right. See, <laughs> they don't give a fuck.
1: <laughs> there was They're a plastered. Ex- <laughs> See. There was a small boom of churches, which includes the rise of the Church of the Latter-day Saints and the rise of the Methodists to being the most popular religions in America at the time. Kentucky pastors would see that it was mostly women that were attending services being dropped off by their husbands before the husbands would go drink in the woods. Yeah. Then the men would arrive later on for the revival meetings, wasted, yep. and they would raise hell, which did not amuse the pastors.
0: Yeah, raising hell in a church is a little... um problematic stop it get some help so it was these churches uh that got sick and tired of people's bullshit hold on i'm just gonna i'm gonna pause and i'm gonna sidetrack real quick apparently there was a there was a member of the clergy who got so fucking pissed at these guys coming in and raising hell that they went out into the woods to like one of their campfires while Mm -hmm. they're out drinking grabbed a burning log shook it at them and threw it at them saying, the hellfire is going to come for you, oh, wow. no, <laughs> while these, throwing a flaming log.
1: Wow, these pastors did not fuck around back then.
0: God, no. So, yeah, it was these churches that began abstaining from alcohol and urging its members to do the same. One member even saying, quote, we may set it down as a probable sign of false conversion if he allows himself to taste a single drop.
1: Though, here they were talking about whiskey. It would not be until the 1830s where the event evangelists would redefine temperance to include all alcohol, not just hard liquor. Yeah. In 1917, after the U S entered world war one, we had our first federal taste of prohibition when Woodrow Wilson, I hate that man yep. instituted a temporary wartime prohibition in order to save grain for food, which makes I'll, sense. I'll give
0: him a point for that. Cause that, that makes sense. It makes
1: sense. Um, it was also that year that the 18th amendment would be proposed, which is prohibition and would receive passing, 3 for support in 11 months even though the bill had a seven-year time limit for passing so it they thought it was going to take seven years it took 11 months goddamn goddamn
0: so the 18th amendment would be put into effect on january 16th 1919 and in october of 1919 congress put forth guidelines to actually enforce prohibition in what is popularly known as the volstead act
1: ah that sounds familiar Federal and local governments had issues enforcing prohibition throughout the 1920s. It was enforced better in rural areas where the bill had popularity, but in urban areas it was much more loosely enforced. Kind of like social distancing. Yep. Stay the fuck inside, guys.
0: Stay the fuck home. But this time, you're allowed to have a drink.
1: You can drink in your homes. America gave us alcohol for this moment. Get sloshed at home. Don't do it to other people. Don't expose.
0: Don't drink and drive.
1: Uh, people became even more creative when it came to drinking, so bootlegging became popular.
0: Bootlegging is essentially the illegal manufacturing and sale of alcohol. People who would transport bottles of booze were known as bootleggers because of one tactic, which was to smuggle it in their boots or trouser legs.
1: Could you imagine how that would look? You'd be like, wow, damn, that calf muscle is real good. What is your workout routine?
0: Oh, you know, just a couple Coronas, uh, maybe a Modelo. Maybe some Jameson, hey, lifts up legs, shows a little bit of ankle, and then like seven bottles of booze. It's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. (laughs) He doesn't actually have strong leg muscles. (laughs) I should do that. (laughs) Um, There were many other popular ways to bootleg, but this is the one that granted them the name bootleggers. But the alcohol demand in areas birthed speakeasies.
1: Which I've actually, god damn it. Which I've actually been to a speakeasy. I went to one in New York City. Speakeasies are places where people could buy alcohol, usually a nightclub or a store. But they had to hide the alcohol, obviously. And so they would make these fronts of stores and usually have a hidden or back entrance that someone would go through to get to the bar. The one I went to, I had to go through a wall in a hotel. I literally could not tell the difference between the wall and the not wall. Yeah. It was wild.
0: Um, It was also during this era that bathtub gin and uh, moonshine became popular. People would make their own alcohol using whatever they had and would sell it to others whenever they made a batch. It was a very informal setup and prohibition related crime skyrocketed.
1: Wow. So at the forefront of this crime was famous gangster Al Capone. He was a famous gangster, obviously, from Chicago, earning an astounding $60 million a year from his speakeasy and bootlegging operations. And that's
0: not even talking about today's monies.
1: Yeah, that's 1920s monies. Goddamn. Goddamn. These illegal operations also facilitated gang violence between rival bootleggers, which included the St. Valentine's Day massacre in 1929. We will cover that in a future episode.
0: Yeah, so while some people were crafting their own booze at home, others were smuggling in what they could from the outside. Places like Canada and Mexico, with a border touching the U.S., were good locations for import, and others had to be smuggled by boat and hidden amongst shipments.
1: Now, a pretty uh, dark side of this is that 10,000 people died from, how would I pronounce that? Denatured. Denatured alcohol. So in the 1920s, the government ordered alcohol manufacturers to put poisons or foul-tasting ingredients in their mixes, because at this point in time, alcohol was an ingredient used in paints— solvents fuels and medicines so in 1926 they ordered these distillers i said that right yes to make the sorry to make them more deadly by putting in things like mercury salts benzene, benzene i got this ether he gave me all the hard ones yep. chloroform carbolic acid mm-hmm. zinc mm-hmm. acetone iodine formaldehyde kerosene and gasoline god i'm clapping to myself and these were all things that home brewers tried to try to distill out in their bathtub to get the bathtub gin. Now these poisonings outrage many people because they're poisoning their own people and even Senator Edward Edwards called it quote legalized murder. Which yeah. it is. Yeah. You're like, hey, I want them to stop doing this, so what if we put poison in the things that they use?
0: You know what, if they're gonna do this. Guys, we just don't want them to do this, so let's, let's just, just put fucking kill them. Let's not put disgusting things in there, let's put some deadly things in.
1: Yeah, you know what? I think I think they need their daily dose of formaldehyde.
0: You know what? I don't think I've drunk drunk enough gasoline lately.
1: <laughs> you know? It's been a long time since my last chloroform hit.
0: Dude, that ether hits different. <laughs> Are you kidding me?
1: Good job, America. And there's
0: other things that they mixed in there too, and it's just like that this isn't even the entire list. They mixed in some dangerous shit.
1: Well, as we've learned throughout our short history on this podcast, um, America does not give a shit about killing its own people, like the coronavirus, because we don't have enough ventilators, enough masks, enough protective gears. And if we had started stockpiling and taking this seriously when our first case happened in January, we would not have the deaths that we have today.
0: And started quarantining quarantining earlier, social distancing better, you know, locking down non-essential business people.
1: I'm looking at you, kitchen and bath um, designers. You are not essential get you, off the road
0: yeah, you too hobby lobby
1: yeah how, how is hobby lobby essential you know what's essential alcohol stores Fair. i mean like actually no new jersey considers it an essential business
0: good job new jersey for getting me my jameson
1: and my wine
0: yeah yeet <laughs> <laughs> anyways uh good job america and at this point in time because we're jumping ahead a few years, the country is in the midst of the Great Depression and needed jobs and money. So reopening the liquor industry sounded like a wonderful idea, other than wanting to get alcohol. But,
1: hey. Safely, because you could get alcohol, but it's like,
0: you could take this shot.
1: You could die, or you could get drunk.
0: There's a (laughs) 50-50 chance of you getting fucked up or getting fucked up.
1: It's like Russian roulette, but with worse odds.
0: Yes. (laughs) Um... So reopening the, in- the liquor industry sounded like a wonderful idea, and FDR, pr- his entire thing while he was running, was proposing the repeal of Prohibition. FDR won over the very unpopular Herbert Hoover.
1: I feel bad for Herbert.
0: And he would propose the 21st Amendment to finalize the repeal of Prohibition. In December of 1933, Utah provided the final vote necessary to repeal the ban on a federal level, though some still had it at a state or county level to this day. And the rest is history.
1: Thank you guys so much for joining us again. If you would like to request um, sources for this episode, you can DM us or email us. We're FastPass1 on Twitter. or are FastPassPodcast at gmail.com for yeah. emails. Um, if you want to engage with us and talk about this topic on Twitter or via email, we will do that. Yeah, We'd love you... to engage our listeners. Yeah. Um, if you have any requests for future episodes, you can contact us either way as well. Yeah. And thank you guys so much for tuning in again. I hope you're all staying safe and healthy. We can get through this. And thank you for listening and taking the time out of your day to spend with us. Yeah, yeah. And until next time, bye-bye. Bye-bye.